Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi viewing podcast. <laughs> I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your neophyte, Frank. And today we are Fuck going to... Fuck Garage <laughs> Today, we're going to try and do our season four wrap-up for the third fucking time. Because this is what has happened. It finally happened! Listeners, we finally have a lost episode. It took us over a year... It, and honestly, you know, we, that's a very good run for a podcast. I think, I think that's a pretty good run. Uh, but unfortunately, because it's the season four wrap up, we can't just not do it. We have to do it. Right. We talked for 45 minutes and then we lost the episode and I don't want to talk about this season anymore. So we also went a second time where I was going to be really cliched and pop the tab on my cram burrito to, to get us. To get an idea of how beside ourselves we are right now. But then it wasn't recording. So now we are finally here, take three, where we talk about season four. Now, in all seriousness, before we get too far into this, um, quick content warning. We are going to be talking about the pretty much anything and everything about season four. Um, And with season four... There are certain controversial topics, certain content warnings and trigger warnings um, that we will be going into in detail. This is known as the school shooting season, as you probably know if you've been listening to us or if you've watched the season. Um, There's also probably going to be talking about sexual assault. We're probably going to be talking about homophobia, racism, ableism, um, teacher-student relationships. Um, my, my advice is to check our episode description. Frank is pretty good at making sure that there are time-sensitive content warnings. So if you need any specifics on it, feel free to look at the description because we do tend to kind of float all over the place when we do these. And because we are doing this again, after we were 45 minutes in, we're probably gonna be a little unhinged. And so we may just kind of ebb and flow through a whole bunch of topics. I cannot believe we lost the episode. I'm so angry. <laughs> it's right. cool. It's cool. It's cool. You know, I got it's a cool. burrito that I'm slowly chugging into myself. And at the very least... Yes. <laughs> I like to sometimes sniff alcohol to see if I would enjoy it. I did not care for this. I don't smell. think you will enjoy it. Honestly, I, I'm not the biggest fan, but I bought it at a Wawa in Virginia because I thought the fact that you could buy alcohol in, in Wawa was so weird. And oh, that's when you know I'm from Jersey. I would prefer to, I would prefer to uh, review that Cranberita than season four. Don't review this Cranberita. Okay. Um, anyway, so what we did last time and what we'll do again. It's kind of set up. Oh, calm down. I'll be. All right, all right. Yeah, get it out because it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter anymore because whatever you felt, it's gone. It's gone into the void. But, um, so. No, the anger's still there. I'm still angry at this season for being, like, one of the most biggest missed opportunities. You know, now I'm even more angry so I can really spill the vitriol. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So, the big thing about this season is that kind of a big usually we talk about how the critics feel about it after we do a general discussion of it but i think it's almost important to open with it with this season because this season is um one of the most successful degrassi seasons in terms of viewership in 
um, Canada, it was it had ratings that were like triple the amount that some of the other seasons had. In the case of the U.S., some of the episodes were the most viewed episodes on the end ever from the season, and the viewership of the end for Degrassi went up eighty percent, which is huge. That's an obscene amount of people. And I know that I watched this season. I think I got into it more around, like, season two or three-ish. Um, I think one was really the mystery season for me. Um, but this was when I remember reading a lot about it. This is when I remember seeing a lot of talk about this series. Um, because I remember having a subscription to Entertainment Weekly specifically and almost every single week they were talking about Degrassi episode and some of the topics that they were talking about and how it goes there. And this is really when people talk about that tagline of it going there, I think this is the season that they talk about. Because this is the season where there was a school shooting. This is the season where there's an STI outbreak. This is the season that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of things happen. And so the reputation of this season is that it is considered a controversial season. It's considered a controversial season because of the content that it talks to talks about. But my argument with this season is I find this to be a controversial season, not because of the content itself. And we talked about this in the original version of it, so I'll keep it brief in here, which is probably fine and probably preferable for viewers. I want to be clear as we continue talking about this season that I am somebody who truly believes that there is no issue that should not be talked about. However, there are right ways and wrong ways about talking about it. Meaning that I think Degrassi should be talking about all of the topics they cover in season four. I think that they should cover any, I don't really feel like there is any topic that they should inherently never ever talk about. But then when we, after that point, it's a matter of execution. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of here are good ways you talked about this topic and there are bad ways that you talked about this topic. And I think that's my big thing about this season is that's kind of what I, I am going to try and reiterate and what my argument about this season is. Because I think that not only could they do this better just because as a writer, I know that they could do it better, but I also feel like they did not do as well as they did in past seasons. I think that this is, we talked about like, you know, we talked a little bit about like how we would rank this season compared to other seasons. I still truly believe my favorite is season two. I think then it goes three. Um... One and four is a toss-up to me. I think depending on what hour of the day, I will put one one place, one the other. But I think that this season was the more disappointing one for me compared to season one. Because season one, you could tell they were just figuring shit out. Season four is when I feel like they really hurt themselves. Because I think the two biggest flubs that they made... I'm just, like, condensing all my arguments from the first recording. That's fine. I think my my biggest gripes with this season, the two... No, three. I have three big gripes. One, I think they entirely bungled the fallout of the school shooting. I don't think they really went into the emotional trauma in a way that made any damn sense. Two, I think that they began to introduce certain aspects of Craig's mental illness that portray him in a way that is violent and makes him more difficult to sympathize with. And where I thought the cheating of last season and things like that were quite boneheaded. I think that making these implications that now he is violent and that he is continuing a cycle of abuse is a really dangerous thing to have, especially when they were trying to write him as a sympathetic, mentally ill character for so long. 
And I think the last thing is this season is so unkind to its female characters. I think that it does a disservice to them in a way that I think season one and what I liked about season one is as many issues as season one had, I'd never believe that like female friendship was a bad thing in season one. You know, now that I'm thinking, like... Now, your arguments now. <laughs> yeah, well, well, now I'm jumping off of, like, that thing you just said about un- being unkind to female characters. Like, it's, it's weird that, like, I, because of, like, everything that happens afterwards, I completely forget the first two episodes of this season are Paige's trial, or Paige, Dean's, the, you know, Dean's trial for a rape. And, like, I don't want to say I like the outcome of that, but I do appreciate, like, saying I appreciate it, that's a weird, you know, a verb to use also. But the fact that they were, they were like, this is generally what happens, and this fucking sucks. Like, we all know, like, the, the show basically says at the beginning, like, we all know Dean's guilty, but the law will not find him guilty. And he he is going to get free. And it is sucky, but this is generally what happens. Meanwhile, but but then, like, the the season goes on, and, like, Paige just becomes this entirely different thing by the end of it. And she doesn't... Like, we talked about how at the end of Moonlight Desires, Marco gets to move on from Dylan in a super healthy way. Like, of... Even after he does unhealthy things, too. And that's the big thing. It's like, he is given a chance to... He's given a chance to screw up, but not to a point that he can't go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, with, um... With Paige, like, she... Instead of growth, we see regression. But the regression isn't viewed that way it's more like what i'm speaking with is her crush on oleander and how that plays out and how it really i feel like the whole oleander thing is what kind of destroys every female character by the end of the series it reduces everyone to nonsense yeah like you can say like manny was horribly written in the um the band episode but, like, like, the one where Ashley wasn't being kicked out of the band. Mm-hmm. I forget what title that one was. But, like, by the end of it, like, all of them are just, like, just these one-note characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all get reduced so badly because of that plot. Mean- because nobody is allowed to act the way that they should in a situation like this. Yeah, meanwhile... Meanwhile, you have what we were calling in the last part of the recording, the Euchre Club, which is this great little collection of, of people like Alex, Jimmy, um, Craig, Ellie, Ellie um, Marco, mm-hmm. which would have been great to just watch their adventures and like how they maneuver around the school, like, in the, you know. Yeah, it... They felt the most like a bunch of kids I knew. Yeah. And I think the thing is with this series is what made the first three seasons so endearing to me is the how familiar the kids felt. Yeah. How you know these kids. 
And I think that in season four, I think Marco is still a kid I know. Marco is still a kid I very much know. I think the whole Euchre crew still feels like kids I know. Uh, Alex. Alex, I think, is the most real. Yeah, but we were saying on the last recording that um, Alex is, like, the most Jersey person. So we were like, yeah, we know Alex. (laughs) Yeah. We know that kid. Yeah, and we love that kid because, like, I think I said before, I knew somebody, I knew a fair... The, the high school I come from, there's a fair number of people who are Alex, and, like, they are some of the brashest, like, like, potty-mouthed, like, you know, roughest people you will ever meet, but you're never going to meet anybody who is, like, has your back or shows you more loyalty once you show them, like, the kindness and the time of day. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, I, like, there was this kid who was struggling geometry. He'd been held back because of it. I, like, helped him through it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I was okay at it, and then I had my dad to help me. And he used to do this thing called gleeking, where he would spit in between, like, a gap in his teeth. And I, he's just like, why are you helping? Because he would do that constantly on me, and, like, the teacher didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And, like, he's like, why are you helping me? All I've done is give you shit. I'm like, because you need help, dude. Like, I don't need a reason besides that. His crew always had my back. <laughs> like, because they're just like, you helped our friend. Like, we'll help you. I'm like, all right, cool. But that's kind of, like, the thing. Like, we all knew an Alex. Like, Donnie and I knew several Alexes. Yes. And I've worked. I work with Alexes. Yeah. I work with them. But, like, and Alex comes out the best, because, like, Alex starts off a villain. Mm-hmm. For me, the most sympathetic of the villains, because, like, she, you know, she was bullying Rick. And nobody liked Rick, but, like, he didn't deserve to be bullied that badly. Mm-hmm. But she does a turnaround of, like, we shouldn't have done that. I'm out of here. I'm done with Jay. Oh, and that, that was the other thing. It's just, like, of all the girls, Alex gets comes out the best. Mm-hmm. Because Alex has the most, Alex has the most um, autonomy by the end of it. Right, right. She's she's able to, like, I think her arc is very captivating. I think that there are little pieces they could have maybe brought out more, but ultimately, I think she has probably one of the best arcs in the whole season because she does start as like a, a antagonist and is now part of some of the best you know, some of the overall best characters. Like, she's part of that crew now. Yeah. And, like, I really do love that crew. I think that Craig... I feel like that's Craig, at least in the way that I want him to be. Yeah. With it, Which is just with a bunch of misfits. Yeah. And, and Jimmy... That's Jimmy's chance at normalcy, really. Even though it really should be about Hazel and his relationship. Yeah. The fact that this season, he gets fucking shot. He becomes physically disabled and he's barely in it makes no damn sense to me hazel's barely in it which also makes no damn sense to me this should be about jimmy and hazel there, there is that one moment in the uh in west end girls where hazel just goes off on page yeah that should have been an episode it should have been like that should have been an a plot to itself right it, it there should have been an episode where hazel and jimmy are just spending a day together and it's maybe one of the first times they're really interacting with each other and, and he's not in the hospital anymore. And, like, how does that look now? 
Yeah. How how have things changed? Not to say that it has to be the super cliched disability narrative, but just like they're they're the two characters I think that deserved um Frank, you said earlier how you wanted a episode that's like, you know, them trying to have a normal day, being a little worried that things are gonna fall apart, but ultimately they don't. And I think uh, they deserve an episode like that. What I was saying was, um, if I had my dithers and I was working on season four, I would move the shooting to the very middle of the season. Mm-hmm. Like, everything is kind of a lead up towards it, and then everything after it is just kind of coming back to it. Right. I still think our, our the idea of we had during the um, shuffle episode, like, that is the last that was the first episode out of the gate Mm -hmm. of just like how time is passing differently for everyone yes um but the final episode i would completely get rid of the jane silent bob arc right all all three episodes are just gone and like the last episode is just the last day of school where suddenly people notice they're just going about their lives again and everything is fine like they're not fine, but, like, it's... The way I was describing it is once you go through something terrible, like the loss of, a, like, a family member or a friend or just some traumatic incident, for, you know, months after that, you're going to constantly be thinking about it and constantly going over it in your head. But then, like, you start, like, getting back into your life and you start recovering... And then you come to a point where you realize it's been a whole day and I haven't thought about it. But for me, at least, I always stop. I stop during those moments. I'm like, right, I forgot about this. Like, full transparency, I'm coming on two years of a friend and I are no longer talking. Mm-hmm. And I still kind of haven't had that day. So. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. But, like, this it's part of the recovery process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's how I would end this season. Like, because I, I think now that I'm, now that I'm describing that, I think that's, for me, kind of the issue, that's the problem with season four, is we kept having to go bigger. Yes. Like, you have the school shooting and, like, you just have kept having bigger plot lines with more characters and, like... You know, people are fighting, and we had to put on a play, and, like, Radish is gone, and all this other stuff, and... Well, people were fighting, and they were fighting rough. Yeah, and, like, you know, and, like, how are you going to end this, like, this series? Or end this season? Jay and Silent Bob show up, and it's just, like, you don't need to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, as much as, like... Like, like, Degrassi can learn, like, from Pixar that, like, sometimes, like, pain isn't the only feeling that there is. Like, the the great thing about Pixar movies for me is that they don't think drama only comes from pain. Like, it's just, like, drama can come from just, like, going from there and all the emotions that lead you back to being happy. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Like... That's for me what makes like makes me fucking weep by the end of up because it takes you so low at the beginning in that you know that opening mm-hmm. and then like to see Carl go on his like upward journey 
It just, like, breaks my heart because he's finally so happy and he has purpose and whatnot. And, like, that's what, the, like, Degrassi needs to learn that you can do. And also, you don't have, like, you can micro-focus on characters instead of having these big overarching plot lines that mm-hmm. just tend to go nowhere. Yeah, I think that you don't always have to go bigger. I think that life is not like that, right? Like, I know a lot of people rag on Degrassi because it's just, like, all these bad things happen to, like, the same 20 kids. But I would argue that the reason why it feels that way is not so much that people, these 20 kids, go through the same sad shit. It's it's the weight of it, right? And, and when you're a teenager, you kind of give everything the same weight because you're a teenager. Because you've only existed on this planet for 16 years and that heartache feels the same because that's the first heartache you've ever really experienced so you don't have a frame of reference or this is the only family that you've ever known so when you get betrayed or hurt by them it's gonna have the same weight no matter what because this is your only family you have a frame of reference for pain is not the end of the world but i think that sometimes when you're a teenager it's it's just not going to be as large scale and i think that season three was very good at showing large and small scale pain um i think it was good at showing major instances of pain and smaller instances of pain in the way that we hurt ourselves because of it using like ellie as a very literal example i think that the struggle of this season and the struggle of um the weight of everything was just, as you said, like, it was trying to be bombastic. And I don't think a teen drama needs to be bombastic. I think that sometimes, yeah, we need to talk about gun violence. And sometimes, yeah, we do need to talk about intimate partner violence. And yeah, we need to talk about the legal system and things like that. But we need breaks between because that's just how life is. Sometimes it is just a breakup, and sometimes it is just a relationship falling apart. Like, that's what I wanted Caitlyn and Joey's relationship to be like. I wanted it to just be that it fell apart. And it didn't need Kevin Smith involved, and it didn't need all these things. It's just, sometimes you're just not meant to be. Yeah. And it's sad, but it's true. And I think that you could still could have had Craig blame himself, and you still could have even had Angie blame herself. But sometimes that's all it is. And it's still really sad. You just completely opened up a whole new door that we didn't even consider when we were talking about this. Angie just lost a second mom. Yeah. Like, Caitlin was calling herself stepmom. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. It's a you... death of a family unit. Yeah. Like, how does Angie, mm-hmm. like feel about that you know like uh, anyway um yeah it's there is little instances of absolute devastation that we can talk about in this season but it feels the need for whatever reason to just pile on pile on pile on pile on and that's just not it's just not the way that the story i think needs to be told because it's it's something that, I don't know, because, like, a lot of the critics that I was reading opinions of were saying, like, oh, it's still very teen and still, like, very relevant to teens, and I don't think it's inherently not relevant to teens. But I think that those little moments 
are what makes me think of like season one to three a lot of the time it's those little moments it's those relationship breakups it's the it's the like those to me are so teenager and that's what i like about like ya and things like that is like it's those it's the small town moments you know what i mean yeah you don't have to go that big sometimes you can still be really effective as a series and speaking to the things that teenagers need to be aware of yeah like <laughs> you you know you talk about fire emblem all the time, and like I'm not. <laughs> yes, but like I don't think your favorite. You've never said my favorite moment was this one battle where I won this. It's like your favorite moments are the interactions between the characters. Supports, baby. Like it's just yeah. My thing with Persona Four um, is just like I don't care that by the end of it you're fighting a literal god. Right. Like I love like my favorite, like the. Um, my favorite social links are your cousin and your uncle, where, like, you're helping a family come back together, and it's just this small thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, you know, your cousin doesn't think her dad loves her because, like, he spends all his time at work, and your dad is trying to come to terms with the fact that his wife died, and he it's hard to be around his daughter because she reminds him so much of her. Exactly. Like that's that, that's it. That is that's drama. It's and it's fucking tragic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like I like I'm not super invested in Toby, but like I would have loved like an episode of Toby just coming to terms with his friend did a terrible thing, but he still misses his friend. Right. And it's such like a it's a piece of the puzzle. Toby, it's weird because it's like, you know, so much of the first season, we're like, God damn it, another fucking Toby episode. Season one is all about Toby. It's all about Toby, baby. But, like, this is the season that should have been about him. Yeah. This should have been about, like, how did his school year shake out? What what happened? Because the last time we saw him, he was just being a creep. <laughs> like, what which also reads to me that he didn't learn his lesson from the shit with Rick. Yeah. Like, it should have been, what was it like for him, especially as someone who was the closest to him and was being, being, you know, considered complicit in what had happened? There's just a lot left on the table on this season, which is really disappointing to me. And I think that... That happens sometimes, right? Like, but I think the thing that disappoints me the most with this is that this is a series that prides itself on going there, whatever that means. And I think that if you're going to go there, you can't half-ass it. Yeah. And it feels to me like there's a lot half-assed or a lot that they were writing and then went above their skill level for. It's very much like they were like yeah we're gonna go here we're gonna do the school shooting but then we're not really gonna know how to deal with the fallout of it we're not really gonna know how to deal with jimmy and how he lives his life now with grace like we don't know how to do these things in a way that we could do competently it feels like they were just writing out of their skill set time and time and time again and that happens a lot i think with a lot of trauma narratives a lot of mental illness narratives and I think the answer just comes down to, like, you need a writer's room that actually, like, has gone through it. Mm-hmm. You need a writer's room that's marginalized. You need a writer's room that has people in there that are disabled. You need a writer's room that has people who are not white in it. You need a writer's room who has way more diversity than Degrassi has and way more diversity than most series have, quite frankly. And 
it's it's I think that they were able to manage for the first three seasons with some slip ups, but this I think is where it becomes really apparent. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I feel like there's another point I I had made. Uh, I don't know. It, the whole thing is just like it just it's it's a it's like they took a bunch of different puzzles and threw them on the ground in front of the front of the writers and like here put these together. Yeah, it felt very much like what's the fuck is relevant right now? Uh, I guess we can do an STI episode. We can do a uh, uh, this episode. Blah 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 blah. And the thing is, is like, I think the issue that I have is like, especially with Emma. I feel like the connection to this, her behavior, and Paige, I feel like these two characters were the big thing, where their behavior, I assume, is a trauma response. But I'm assuming it's a trauma response because I feel like the transition was not made clear enough in the writing. Yeah. I think Emma's almost, but even then, I think that it could have been done a little more clearly. And Paige's was absolutely, like, I'm only assuming it's in response to the court case. But I'm only assuming... Because the way that she behaves just doesn't really make sense to me. And as a, I feel like the thing that pisses me off about the teacher-student relationship in this season is the fact that nobody, except for Manny making one comment about Oleander being a pedophile, really gets at the issue. Because they portray it as, like, a, a love story that just can't quite work today, as opposed to what it is, which is that he's a fucking freak. Yeah. He's a manipulator weirdo. Yeah, and, like, we are supposed to feel bad for him because he lost his job. And we're supposed to feel bad for him because he lives in a shitty apartment. And we're supposed to feel bad for him because he has to leave for the summer to do work because he can't fucking be a teacher because he was a fucking creep. It's, it's stupid. It's a waste of time. And nobody really acts in a way that makes any goddamn sense. The, the the Oleander story should have been him walking out of Toronto with a bindles like on a stick, and he just like turns back and goes goodbye home, and you just hear somebody from inside the city go, "Get out of here, you fucking pervert!" Right. <laughs> um. But yeah, like the whole thing is just missed opportunity after missed opportunity, and. I'm, honest, I'm just so done with it. Like, and did we talk about how the weird fame thing, or what was that during things that made you go ooh? I think that was more during the. Uh, God damn! I think we brought it up during the ooh and the huh. Yeah. So but, I'm not gonna get into that now. Okay, that was your yeah. huh, right? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna like. On a whole, I think I'm gonna give this. Oh, we're just gonna jump into your rating. Oh, I thought. Thought we just did that at the end of the summary. And if you want. Because, I mean, I don't really see it, like, the point bring it up at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, okay, let's start talking about it again. I'm going to give this fucking season a D. Yeah. It's my thing about this show. See, me after class, you can do better than this. Right, but my thing about this show. <laughs> I was going to schedule a parent-teacher conference for Degrassi and me. <laughs> <laughs> my thing about Degrassi is as a fan, I acknowledge that it's important in a cultural aspect. I acknowledge that it's important to me as a teenager and how it influenced me as a teenager. But I'm realizing more that I rewatch it and look at it critically and pick it apart that 
it's hard for me to recommend it. Like, once again, to bring up Friday Night Lights. That's a show I recommend. I, I admit that season two is not great because of the writer strike, but I think that happens in every show that came out during that era. Mm-hmm. Every show did something fucking screwy during that writer strike. So, like, I take that with a grain of salt. You could say that about any fucking season that came out that year. But overall, I would say it's really fucking good, and it's worth watching, and even if you don't like football, it's very captivating, and the characters are really interesting, and I think that a lot of the characters have a lot of similar attributes to the Degrassi characters, but they are written with a lot more nuance and a lot more sympathy. And most importantly, which I think is a big fumble of Degrassi, especially later Degrassi, is the lack of presence of adults. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that every adult has to be good, but I think adults are very real roadblocks and mentors during a teenager's life. And I think that once you stop having them be an obstacle... This then everything kind of starts becoming more unrealistic. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot with this fame aspect. And I think it happens a lot in um, just the way that kids kind of are able, every kid is able to gallivant. Because I feel like what ends up happening with parenting things is you have parents that let their kids kind of go out anywhere and it doesn't matter. And then you have parents that are more apprehensive and parents that won't let their kids out. And that alone is a plot point, right? It, it was a major plot point in every Animorph book. Right. Where it, they're just like, we're going understaffed into this mission because Jake has to go visit his family. But that's exactly <laughs> it. It it sounds ridiculous at first because it's like, well, the adults shouldn't have that big of a role. And I agree, they shouldn't have a huge role. But I think that they're a very real obstacle. Like, if you have a group of kids, not every single kid is going to be able to meet up in the case of Animorphs. But like... <laughs> Not every kid is going to be able to do certain things, and that's also going to influence things. That's why I like how Marco is kind of a good good boy, because you can tell that he is afraid of his parents. And I think that that's a really real issue that some kids have, like how they behave and how they act and how they react, even to their friends, is a reflection on their relationship with their parents. And when you start having a series that the adults are non-existent in, then the authenticity of the teenage experience becomes impaired. Yeah. And I think that that's a big issue that we begin to see in this season. Because also how how much, how different would have, would this whole entire thing have been, for example, the teacher-student relationship stuff, if Paige's mom was a more constant, and Dylan even, were more constant presence during it. I, I mean, we, we saw Dylan briefly when he's like, I want to kick the shit out of Oleander. Right. But what would it have been like if he was had a more extensive role during it what would his mother right probably but (laughs) would would it have been instead her hiding the relationship from them and then or would she try and be no this is okay i promise i know what i'm doing would they say hey is this you know we think this might be a response to you being sexually assaulted and then she gets mad at them because of it like there's different levels and nuance that could have been addressed because of it yeah and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Instead, we get this nonsense. Right. It's just... I think you're absolutely right in the sense that they felt the need they had to keep going bigger, bigger, and bigger. And in the process of them going bigger, bigger, and bigger, I think they lost sight of themselves. So. So. Shall we go to things that make you go, ooh? Hang on. So let's move on to things that make you go, ooh, and things that make you go, huh? <laughs> um... My ooh is Alex and Marco's dynamic. 
I think it was a really sweet part of this season and honestly one of the few things that I really took away is like a really good thing this season I didn't really pick up on it as a kid but I think also it's one of those things where I was thinking about I'm like why didn't this captivate me as a kid and the sad answer was that I didn't really have gay friends when I watched this season and like I had friends on the internet but that was kind of it and now that I am older and Honestly, I'm surrounded by LGBTQ people. And Frank. And Frank. <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually how it is now. I think it is just LGBTQ people and Frank. Um, I'm the token straight friend. You are the token straight friend in my world. Um, <laughs> but but um, I think that other than that, um, I think it's just a, just a dynamic I never really thought about because I just never really had a friend like that yet. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah. And I think that goes for the Euchre gang in general. I think they were an ooh for me too because they felt the most like my group of friends. And in the sense that it's just like, we're all just like vaguely connected weirdos who get each other and want to support each other and are really brain and are just trying to make it work. Yeah, for me, it's the Euchre club too. Like, I love them. I want the show to focus just on them. I love them. Yeah. Um... I want like what what is what is it like for Hazel to hang out with the Uger Club? That's what I want to know. I I'm if memes were a thing, I'm sure they would have their own memes. Oh my god, they also just would love memes together. They would have like a little group chat. No. They just send each other dumb shit, and they would like invite Hazel, and Hazel would like only <laughs> pop in once like once a day. <laughs> She'd just like look at her like look at the the like. Like, 15 unread messages, like, scroll through, and just put her phone down. Yeah, it's just like, ugh. She, like, rolls her eyes, and Paige is like, what? And she's just like, Huger oh, Club is just saying weird shit again. Um, like, but she does enjoy going shopping with, um, Hazel and Ellie, because, like, when they know- Hazel enjoys going shopping with Ellie? Because, because Ellie will be brutally honest about an outfit. Ah, uh, yes, But also- true. Um, wait, did I say... You said Hazel would go shopping with Hazel and... Oh, I mean Ellie. Alex. <laughs> okay. Alex and Ellie. And, inevitably, when they get catcalled, because men are terrible, Alex is like, The fuck you say?! <laughs> and they just... It would it would be really kind of a fun dynamic to see them all hang out. But yeah, I think, I think it would be cute to see. Because I also feel like... I also want Hazel to be treated nicely. And I think especially this entity of Paige, like, I really don't like the the way that they kind of imply that this relationship between Hazel and Paige is just Hazel just playing dumb. Because I, I never got the vibe that was what their dynamic was supposed to be. I mean, if that's if that's where you're going, that's another thing for the Euchre Club to, like, solve. I was like, no, we're all cool here. Right. But, like, that's the thing. It's like, I thought that, at least when I, my perception of their relationship was that they were equals, and the writers definitely could have given Hazel more. But ultimately, I never got the vibe that Hazel was, like, playing dumber than she is because of it. It, it still weirds me out that she says, just act, like, subservient to That her. was disgusting. Yeah. That was a disgusting writing choice. Another fan fiction idea. Not different from the one I had before we lost the episode <laughs> of Marco wants to go back to that area where he got attacked. Mm-hmm. This is after him and Dylan broke up. He wants to go back to that area. He got like near where he got attacked, but he's still kind of like nervous. So Alex goes with him to the club to like the gay club. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just like, fun. like it's a teen night and they just have fun times. That would be cute. 
Um, <laughs> and I'm just imagining, like, there's an episode of um, Parks and Recreation where Ron Swanson has to, like, find a scavenger hunt clue in, um, in a gay bar. And, like, he just walks in and, like, turns to all the men at the, like, bar and just goes, Gentlemen. And then, like, when he leaves, they all just, like, turn their heads. I just want Alex to do that. Like, she just goes to the bar and get, like, a bottle of water. And she's like, uh, ladies. And they're all just like... <laughs> yep. Yep. So. That would be fun. Um, but yeah, I think, I think overall our ooh is the Euchre Club. But I would give special attention to Alex and Marco. True men-loving men, women-loving women solidarity. Yeah. Um, Things that make you go, huh. I forgot what I said. I just said the whole bungling of the aftermath of the school shooting. Yeah. I think that my argument after seeing the season is if they really couldn't fucking handle the initial aftermath of it, they really should have just set it to the season finale like every other show. Yeah. I think that they needed that three months or so to give themselves like a time skip and just pick up from there because it's very obvious to me that they did not have the skill set to like do a good job of looking at trauma and the way that it manifests in different people i think especially the way they handled sean was just once again just shit left on the table they could have just like if they had done that like end it with the shots that were fired and then just like fade to black Mm-hmm. And then just come back, and you're like, what happened to Sean? And then just, like, reveal at the end of the episode, Sean blames himself. Right. Like, he's just living his, like, apartment, and he hasn't, like, talked to anyone in, like, three months, and he's just, like, blaming himself for what happened and going over it in his head. Right. And that... Eh, part of me just says that sounds too, um... Whatchamacallit? Too, uh... Tropey, but... I don't know. Uh, it probably would be better. Honestly, at this point, I would argue tropey is probably better than what we got. Yeah. A trope is not inherently bad. Yeah. Um, stereotypical. That's the word I was looking for. Um, but yeah, no. I, I'm, if I could, if, if only I was in that writing room. Right. If only, if only I could throw my Super Mario hat and possess Aaron Martin. Just write all these episodes better. Right. Um, yeah. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's move on. Um, it's just... Let's just move on. Um, so the next thing we'll do is highs and lows. And that's where we give our favorites and worst... Least favorites. Favorites and worst favorites. <laughs> More like least favorites and favorite least favorites. Um, also... So, um, my top of the class favorite episode would be, I thought long and hard about this, and I think it's season four, episode 19, Moonlight Desires. And I, I had to agree, but I had to agree, because Donnie has a gun to my, my stomach. No, <laughs> um, I, I have to agree, because I think it's the best um, put together episode, and also I just love, I, I will never not love Craig's reaction to being kissed by Marco. Oh my god, all the faces. But um so my rationale for Moonlight Desires was as follows. One, and this happened to me with last season as well. My favorite episode, my criteria for my favorite episode of each season 
really follows the rule of it needs to have a good A plot and a B plot. So even if you have a good A plot, even if you have a good B plot, if you don't have both, I don't think you can be considered my favorite episode. I think the favorite episode has to be, to me, something I like both. I like the A plot because I think that I think I think it's interesting that the A plot has lower stakes than the B plot in this one. I think that the fact that the A plot is more about Marco and the relationship his relationship disintegrating is actually really interesting and a better example of small scale drama that this season really needed because it's really important to Marco and it has a lot of impact on him as a character but in the grand scheme of things really only has to do with him himself. What I also like about it is that in that episode, it's a really, like, really tightly perfected little episode because it's only one episode, 22 minutes. And over the course of those 22 minutes, Marco sees that he is cheated on, goes through the pain of being cheated on, tries to get back at Dylan, doesn't do things great, realizes that he doesn't do those things great, and realizes the best thing that he can do is to break up with him. And that's a neat little arc that he is able to go through, a neat little emotional range that he is able to do. And I just think it's really well done in that sense. And I think the B-plot was really captivating. Spinner trying to process the fact, like, the consequences of his actions. And Jay just kind of hanging out and being this weird surrogate friend and acknowledging that he is kind of disposable. I think there's so much interesting meta that can be made just from that B-plot, just based on Spinner and Jay's relationship, and how shitty and fucked up it is, and how they are both now tied together because of what they did earlier in the season. I just thought it was a really well done episode. Um, definitely my my favorite of the season overall. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't really feel like I have much to add. I think you summed up expertly. Um... However, I will say my favorite B plot of this episode of this season is um, the one where uh, Craig and Marco are trying to sneak Jimmy out of the hospital because it's it's shenanigans and just boys not having toxic male friendships. I agree. I agree. I think it's very. Um, I think that episode is a good one of just like once again though it's the Euchre crew. It's three members of the Euchre crew doing just shenanigans. Yeah. I think that's the secret. I think that I actually really love, I really love the friendship between Craig, Jimmy, and Marco, and I've always really liked it, and I think the real issue has always been Spinner. Yeah. Spinner has really been the tension, and now that they've taken Spinner out of it, I think now we can truly enjoy those three characters because they're not being weighed down by Spinner. Yeah. And I, I really love that friendship because I think what I really love about all of their friend, all of these, these three boys in particular, is that none of them really know how to help each other, but they're going to fucking try. Yes. And I think that embodies teenage friendship. Yeah. It's, I don't know how to help you with this pain you're going through right now, but by God, I'm going to fucking try. It, it's Paige. Yes. It's early season's Paige. It's very early season's Paige. I'm going to just fucking try it and we're going to wing it. That's what I love about it. Craig is just like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing, but I'm going to just pretend to be somebody at the front desk. And Marco's like, I'm a nervous baby, but by God, I'm going to try and get you to this Kid Elric show. And Jimmy's just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't think this is going to work, but I know you guys are trying, so I'm going to roll with it. Like, that's what I think is the real teen experience. It's that feeling of, I love you so much. I'm going to do anything I can to help you. 
I don't fucking know how to do it, but I'm gonna try. <laughs> in, in Jersey, this is like we're gonna go driving for a few hours. We're gonna go. We're gonna talk. We're gonna listen to music, and then we're gonna stop at like a Wawa, and we're gonna get subs, and we're gonna eat subs on the curb and talk, and hopefully that'll fix your problems. <laughs> but that's exactly it. It's just we're just gonna wander around empty storefronts and closed storefronts for a couple hours and we're gonna hope to god that it's gonna make you feel better it's it, it, the it like it's the attitude of like i'm here for you i don't know what else to do but be here for you right and i think that's what the teen experience actually is and i think that this is what this season lacked it went through these characters went through such horrible things and in, especially in the case of jimmy because jimmy didn't get much time to be spotlighted we didn't really get to see much of him trying to process that piece. The fact that not even just like his physical disability and how now he lives the world differently because he because of that. But the fact that he was in rehabilitation for an extended period of time. He missed a notable amount of school. People changed. People did different things. And after traumatic experiences and after somebody comes back from a traumatic experience, not everyone stays. People leave, people don't know how to talk to you, people don't know how to treat you, and you just want to be treated a certain way and they don't fucking understand, or you tell them how you want to be treated and they don't do it. And I think that's the story that's really missing from this. And, like, he was betrayed by one of his best friends, like... Right. Right. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. I think this also, to a certain extent, is what Craig's story should have been after his he got diagnosed with being bipolar. Because I think that's a real issue that also happens when you get big, scary diagnoses like that. People look at you differently, even though you haven't necessarily changed all that much. In fact, you might even be more, be a better friend now because you're in treatment. I know that that's an issue that I've ran into where it's like you, you go through these, this thing and you get diagnoses and you try to explain it almost to defend yourself. Like, Hey, heads up, I got this. And then people don't know how to talk to you. And, and I think that we hear Craig struggling with the way that people see him. But we also never really get to see him go further with it. We never really get to see him deal with that whole entire thing really extensively. And we don't even get to see his emotional arc of accepting that he is bipolar. I think that's a huge misstep. Yeah, we go straight from he gets diagnosed to... Like, he's in the hospital. We don't see any of that. No, he's fucking hospitalized, which is also, like, a huge traumatic experience. Yeah, like, I had a friend who was hospitalized, and, like, when they came out of it, they they threw away the clothes they had in the hospital. Like, I can't look at those clothes. I can't wear them anymore because it just reminds me of it. Right. Like, it's a big fucking experience for people. And, no, no it doesn't mean that every single person is going to necessarily have like you know an extreme opinion on it but it feels like it's a huge misstep yeah. in the story and it's really disappointing yeah so i don't know it's it's the bungling of the post shooting that's all i got yeah. Um, I like how we went. We we were talking about a part we really liked about season four, right? But and then we still went to God. I'm disappointed by season four. Right. Well, let's go to bottom of the class. So, Frank, what's your least favorite episode or episodes? The entirety of the Kevin Smith arc. It was completely pointless, and just sucked on cheese. 
I went with West End Girls as my least favorite, but my reasoning behind it was because I hated the implications that it gave for Manny and Paige. Yeah. And, but overall, I say all three of those episodes were horrendous. And we also, like, you were also making some excellent points on the last recording um, about how shit's going to change now. <laughs> right. So the big thing that my big issue with that whole entire thing is the fame aspect of it. So you have Paige and Ellie who have some scene work. And you have Manny who is the lead love interest. You have Craig making music for the movie. You have various characters being extras. You have JT working with... Oh no, Basil just wanted attention! Basil! (laughs) She's very needy. (laughs) Well, I fucked up that jump. Time to drink some water. (laughs) (laughs) That's my baby. Um, Basil, we lost an episode because you jumped on my lap before. (laughs) That's our, that's our joke. Basil actually, on air, jumped on Frank's lap, and that's why the episode stopped working. Um, but now you run into this thing where it's not just one character has a brush with fame. That's like five characters that have brushes with fame. And that is a big deal, because in fame narratives, if this, look, if this was in L.A., if this was in New York City... You probably, even if it was Toronto proper, you would have more of a reason to have a fame narrative. Until this point, and this is also a big issue that I have with this series right now, is you had a pretty diverse group of kids in terms of what you see in high school. You have nerdy kids, you have creative kids, you have jocks. This entity of Degrassi does not really have a jock anymore. You don't have Kendra, R.I.P. You don't have um, Jimmy. At least right now, Jimmy's kind of in recovery. He hasn't really explored what he can do now athletically. We know that he would like to still do athletics, but we don't really know how that's going to present itself anymore. You now have a lot of creatives. And that's not inherently bad, but you, what you are running into now is you have a lot of people who are interested in the fame aspect of being a creative. You have Craig who wants to become a musician of some sort. You have Manny who is now acting. You have other characters who will now have to process fame and like how that's gonna impact their life. Even if it's just for a couple months, even if this is the only movie they ever appear in, it is going to change their life for a little bit of time. And you are now pushing the boundaries of your show because of it. And it's a worrisome type of implication. Also now, you have Kevin Smith worked into the universe. (laughs) Which sounds ridiculous, but Joey watched his long-term girlfriend whisked away (laughs) by Kevin Smith. I just want Joey to just have a non-stop hatred for Kevin Smith. Right, like, is that the thing? Like, does he does he fucking, like, protest his movies now? Like, what, what happened? But, like, Kevin Smith's on the, um, on the red carpet, and he just gets hit with a paint balloon from, like, from the crowd. Uh, it's like, um, it's just like, dogma is dog shit. So, yeah. Yeah. 
It's just, you have raised the stakes in a way that doesn't quite make sense. And I also feel like Degrassi doesn't need these types of fame narratives. I think that... It's not victorious. No, it's it's... It doesn't need it because I think that it just... It doesn't need everybody needing it. I think that's the thing. It's like, you could have had one character who genuinely... And I think that happens, right? Like, you go to high school. You need a full-ass production of kids to do theater. But how many of those kids are actually going to pursue theater in college? The one that keeps wandering around and singing all the time. Right. Like, (laughs) I would say tops five kids in a production will actually pursue theater in any shape or form after high school. I'm just throwing that there. That was with my least favorite kid. (laughs) But, but, but like, once again, small scale. How many kids actually continued to be in bands after they were in bands in high school? Not many. How many kids ended up be going to art school? Probably a little bit more. But then again, I think that's a more realistic goal. You're not trying to be, like, super duper famous as an artist. You're just trying to, like, you know, I want to get into animation. I want to do this. Maybe I want to work at Artist Alley. Like, that type of stuff. How many people who want to write actually publish a novel? You know what I'm getting at, though. It's like, yeah, yeah, a lot of kids want to do that stuff, and it's not unrealistic to have these kids have these aspirations, but when they are actually interacting with Hollywood, they're actually at a level where they would need an agent. They actually are at a level where they may have to go to a movie premiere. Now you're pushing the boundaries of the realism of everything. Craig now has Kevin Smith's personal number. Yes. And also Kevin Smith's girlfriend's number (laughs) kevin smith made a public plea for craig to be found it's ridiculous it it is it is because it once again opens everything up in a way that i don't think is the best for a series like this i don't think it's necessarily appropriate now, but I now also just want every, like, Hollywood director to just end the, se- the season of Degrassi, but, like, just, they like, keep getting weirder. Like, the next one's Darren Aronofsky. Oh! Ooh. <laughs> oh, dear. And then, like, season six, the ghost of Stanley Kubrick is just flying around. What the fuck? Yeah, it's just, like... And Shelley Duvall shows up to, like, ghostbust him. She's like, fuck you, you're going back to hell. Oh my god. But yeah, it's just like, it really opens up these new implications that I just feel like it's doing more harm than good. And I feel like that's what a lot of the season did, where it may have done, it may have been a good idea in the moment. And then after the fact, you're like, god damn, now what are they going to do? You know what, like considering the fact they got fucking Alice Morissette to show up for a goddamn cameo, they should have just had her, like... She's just like, hey, I heard one of my one of the schools from like, a, you know, they had the shooting. I'm gonna play a show there, right? And you could have had the whole Craig music thing, and you know what? You could have also like had um, PMS like perform as well. Yeah, you could have. And like, you know, that's the thing. It's like y- this show is endearing and captivating enough that these celebrities wanted to be on it. So why not take advantage of that, but in a way that is a little better? Like, I'm, I really do believe that it didn't need to be Kevin Smith in it. I think it could have been Kevin Smith playing someone else. Yeah. 
And same with Alanis Morissette. If she wanted to be on it, heck, I mean, she could have probably been Alanis Morissette. That's still pretty cool. But, like, she could have been just a musician and we know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, just Alanis Morissette. Yeah. Like, you could just do what Billy Ray Cyrus did. It was, like, it was funny as fuck. I, I, I had a great time. I love Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> that was so delightful. It really worked. And it still was, like, it still worked within the confines of this show, and it was fine, but it didn't need, but, like, I feel like now, now we have all these weird implications because of it, and let alone the fact that, like, Jay, of Jay and Silent Bob fame, is a fucking creep in Degrassi world. Just, like, did the writers have it in for him? Still don't know. I still don't know either. It's just... It's just such a difficult thing that I I hope is a lesson to people, really. If you want, like, if you want to tell these types of stories, what makes good, I think what makes YA so good, once again, is the mundane shit. Yeah, okay, you got your Gossip Girls. Yeah, okay, you got, like, Pretty Little Liars. liars. You got series that are about, or books about people who are more closer to this type of image, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's social media influence, whether it's whatever. But... There's a reason why the small town narratives still work. And the reason why those stories that are just about a person loving another person and not knowing how to tell them. Like, there's a reason why these stories are still so captivating. Because they are still at the level that teenagers like and understand. I read it. I just finished an entire book of two boys emailing each other for 300 pages. I was fucking captivated the entire time. <laughs> you can say Simon versus the Homo Sapien agenda. It's okay. We've yeah. recommended it on here. It is fucking amazing. <laughs> right. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I think that some of Becky Albertalli's books are a good example of this, where it's, like, incredibly small scale. Um, or, like, I think, fuck, some of Adam Silvera's books are very small scale. And there's a lot of YA authors right now where the stakes are really just within the family or just within two people or just within a group of friends and that's it. That's all you need. That's all it is. And yet you're still talking about controversial issues. You can still talk about sexual assault and you can still talk about um, family issues. You can still talk about mental illness. You can still talk about all of these things that season four is trying to talk about with while still keeping it pretty small scale yeah this gun violence would probably could potentially make it go into a larger scale depending on what kind of gun violence you want to talk about but it doesn't have to be kevin smith appearing yeah and being like a weird love interest and it's just it's still is just so bonkers like i mentioned this in the last one like still so bonkers to me that like he's like I'm, we're gonna film this at a school there was a shooting not even like four months ago but they don't even mention it. Like, if they framed it as we're going to do this because we want to um, make the school have some good news, I would have been fine with it. But they don't even mention the school shooting at all. <laughs> in fact, I don't think the school shooting has been mentioned in a little bit. Yeah. And, like, I understand you don't want to be repetitious, but let's be real. If, I mean... All any school I think that has been in, impacted by gun violence of that nature, any gun violence really, any any tragedy, it carries throughout that year. My, if a student dies, no matter what student, they fucking remember. My my school was known like the, the high school I went to was known as the bad school mm-hmm. because 
before, like, I was even born, there was a fight between, like, a bunch of kids at a party from, like, a nearby town and my town. Even then, we carried over the, like, we're the bad school. And that was just a fight that happened off campus. Right. <laughs> Reputations and things like that. Like, kids don't, you don't forget it. You don't forget a tragedy and like, by the end of the school year. And, this, like, considering, you know, Canada has much stricter gun laws that I'm aware of. Well, yeah, because, like, the, this group of Let's Players had a mail thing, um, and they would, like, do unpacking things. And people kept sending them swords for some reason. And they're like, look, legally we can't have this many swords in our homes. You guys oh my have gosh. to stop sending us swords. Oh, no! Please stop sending us swords. <laughs> but the thing is, like... You know, here, it's unfortunately pretty common. In Canada, it must be a huge fucking deal. Right. And, like, you know, that's that's the Degrassi school now. Like, that's that's what they're going to be known for. Right. And, like, yeah, it might be a little trade to keep bringing it up through the rest of the season. But, yeah, you're going to bring it up the rest of the season and for, like, for the next, like, three seasons because nobody's going to let them fucking forget it. No. And that alone could have been an interesting thing, right? Why not, if we had jocks, go to another school and have the kids be like, oh, you come from that place with the school shooting, didn't you? Yeah. And, like, what's that like now? Like, how did security change? I don't even know. Did security change? Was there a push to? Do they have to go through gun detectors every day? No, clearly not. But, like, I feel like there was a aftermath of this that they just did not do. It's it's very frustrating. Um, okay. So next we'll go to character farewells. This is where we say goodbye to certain characters. In this case, two of them for now. So Sean, we're saying goodbye to for now. We talked a lot about his last episode, mostly how it was a terrible send-off for him. Sean's a tough character for me because there's a part of me that absolutely adores him and there's a part of me that's so frustrated by him, but I think a lot of it comes down to I am a sucker for his type of character. Mm-hmm. But I have seen so many series and video games and everything else that has done his type of character better. Yeah. And I think that Sean has an incredible amount of potential as a character, and I think they rarely, if ever, really reach it. Yeah. I hope he shows back up in a muscle car. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any other takes about Sean? Uh, I, I, I was really liking Sean towards the end of his run. Me too. When he was learning responsibility... Like, and I, I still enjoy him standing up to Mrs. Martin. Is that Ellie's last name? Nash. Nash. Standing up to Mrs. Nash and just being like, ma'am, your daughter is safe here, not with you. <laughs> and then just getting the shit slapped out of it. Right. Yeah, like, I, a thing that I really loved until it was no more was Ellie and Sean's relationship. I really, truly love that ship. I understand that, like, we're supposed to believe that Ellie and Sean, like, it's not really, like, it's like Sean and Emma is, like, supposed to be the big ship. But honestly, I thought Ellie and Sean was such a good example of, like, found family and two people who have been hurt by their families trying to find a bond in each other. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I really, truly do. It's, like, I, I hate 
I mean, sometimes I really just don't care for endgame ships because it's just like sometimes characters don't work and it's okay for them not to work. Sometimes they grow and they grow with other people. Yeah. And I don't believe that somebody is entitled to you after you go through a trial alone, like without them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I feel like I won't get too personal. But, like, I've had people kind of dump that expectation of, like, we will reconnect at this point after you have done all of this heavy lifting. Yeah. And I'm going to sit here drinking a lemonade while you do all that heavy lifting. And it's not to say that, like, you know, it's their responsibility, but it, it just feels disingenuous to me that a person can go through all of these trials and the other person is just waiting. Because yeah. that's the thing about Emma. What growth is she really doing? She's not. Sean is going through all of this this emotional upheaval. And yeah, she's going through her own traumas, but ultimately she says horrendous shit. She's incredibly mean. And is just really shitty to people. Yeah. So the idea of Emma having an endgame where she doesn't do any of her own personal growth just seems stupid to me. Um... I'm, I'm sorry, we're laughing because Dahlia is just liquidizing in Donnie's arms. <laughs> I have to, like, keep her propped up. My hands are against her back legs, and now she is trying to push out, and now she is slipping off of me, and now she's <laughs> clinging on to me for dear life. She realized the error of her ways. Um, but, so yeah, Sean. Poor Sean. I did, like, I honestly, I did enjoy his last episode. Like, Did you? Well, parts of it. <laughs> like I, I think you're you're romanticizing it because we came up with a really good way of having that episode. Well no, I like I like like he's you know, the part of when he sees his mom on the TV, cut to outside the, the TV. Tossing a fucking television <laughs> monitor out the van. That's and, true. And just like Daniel Clark's acting when he finally cut like breaks down and he's like, I think I killed Rick. That was really good. Yeah, like I think he's a good actor. Yeah. I think he's a really good actor. I really like him because I remember when we watched his, like, try his audition stuff, I love him and Craig's actors when they switch into character. That's, yeah. like, my favorite thing. I love how Sean's actor is kind of pretty cheerful. Like, he's a pretty content guy. And then when he has to get into Sean, his body language entirely shifts and his voice yeah. shifts. And, like, Craig, too. I think they're both really good. Honestly, it's a shame that... Sean's actor. It sounds like he tried to be in a couple other things and never really quite worked. Yeah. But it happens sometimes. That's fame, baby. Um, other farewells. Radich. Fair fucking well. Yeah, I think <laughs> of all the things that season four wasn't very good at, I think they were really good at showcasing his incompetencies and I think his incompetencies were, were there for a while. Yeah, I'm... Long live Hasselakos. I think she is tough but fair and I'm just fucking here for it yeah i think that yeah i just think that you know we saw him fuck up a lot not just with the rick stuff but with other things but we also saw him fuck up a lot in the leading up to the rick stuff he wasn't competent he couldn't handle it and that's unfortunately what happened like unfortunately a lot of the time that's why these types of tragedies happen that is where the fallout really is it's it's in the incompetencies of administration yeah and teachers yeah um so farewell um, next one. Don't want the door hitch on the way out. Right? All right. And the next one is this What season has the last appearance of Ashley as a regular cast member. Really? She mm -hmm. doesn't? As a regular cast member. She will reappear 
at a later point, but not as a consistent cast member, apparently. Fair enough. Ashley, I weirdly like as a character. At the same time, I think the thing about Ashley is that she is probably the most consistently written character on Degrassi. Yeah. Everything that she does makes sense. It doesn't mean I love the decisions or the things that she does. But overall, she is a character who is very consistent. So when she does things, it's very Ashley. When she snaps at somebody in the middle of a cafeteria, it's Ashley. When she frets about her boyfriend's mental illness, it's Ashley. It's, 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 everything is very consistent with her. She's a busybody. She tries to take on people's perspectives, even though she doesn't fucking know anything about them. She is a very consistent character to me. The thing is... The thing is, I felt like they kind of went everywhere they could with her. Yeah, so and I, I agree. I, I'm I'm happy with her exit. Like, I'm hoping she has... I'm just going to imagine she finds some nice English boyfriend and just lives with her dad and his husband and just has a happy life. But, like, I don't... I, I, I'm happy for the time I spent with Ashley, but I think I'm just about done. Yeah. And I think that's... I think that's fine. Yeah, I think that they were never going to go in the direction that I think they could have gone with her relationship with Craig in the yeah. sense of, like, her being out of her depth but also being a teenager and not really having the resources. So I think we've seen a lot of where she could go. And I think that if they dumped a fame narrative on her on top of, like, if you had Craig and Ashley both trying to be musicians in that way, it would have been too much. Yeah. So... I do enjoy her. I think that I would have wanted her to stay more if they did more with her relationship with Toby. Yeah. And more with her relationship with her dad and her mom. I think if they kept her kept her within the family unit more, which I think they were doing more in season one, I think I would have wanted her to stay more. But as an individual entity, I think they have kind of done a lot of what they needed to do. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. Um, so we also have characters to welcome. Oh, hang on. Mm-hmm. Farrah Bueller. Oh. I will remember you. <laughs> you will remember me. <laughs> I love that little ferret. <laughs> only like three of them. I know, but I can still love that little ferret. <laughs> no, no, but just like. Man. I just can't believe Ellie, who I find to be a very smart character, didn't get a fucking cage. <laughs> just uh, let her let my ferret free range all the fucking time. Also, Chris is gone. Uh, yeah, Chris, Chris is gone. Like, yeah, that's right. Chris has like a final line, which is really nasty toward Emma. I think yeah. <laughs> um, Chris is just. A sad example of, like, the horrible things that can happen to black characters. Degrassi racism. Yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> racism. It's just sad. Um, I feel like there's other, like, one-off, like, supporting characters that just disappeared. Whatever. These are the big ones that I pulled. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think... This is also the last we've seen of Towers this season. 
Did we even see Towers? I think we saw Towers last season. Okay. I I don't think we saw Towers this season. The the lasting memories of Towers. (laughs) The lasting memory of Towers. To be fair, I still stand by, if they actually went sincere with the relationship between Liberty and Towers, I think it would have been great. Yeah. I, I really, truly believe that Towers and Liberty could have been a wonderful ship. Um, but that's, that's just me, but, like, I, I really felt like, I don't know, it was really sweet. I, I like, I like that type of stuff. And I think that to not do it sincerely is insulting. And, I don't know, it's just a waste of time. Yeah. It's just, that's it. And... Alright, um, so yeah, let's do the welcomes. Yeah, so our, um, I'm just confirming if Caitlin, I don't think this is Caitlin's last episode. No! Last season. I'm checking. Um, give me a second. Take your time. Mm, You can always edit it out. It does not say that it's her last episode. Oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no. So I guess things don't work out for Kate and Ryan and Kevin Smith. Oh, no! Probably because he's just like, we all know my true love is Jamie's. <laughs> Perhaps. But, um, but yeah, so, character welcomes. So there's a couple characters that we welcome this season, one of which is Danny, who is Liberty's brother. Who acquires a penis pump. <laughs> From where out of what? <laughs> right. The, the internet. To, to uh, be fair, he is a Van Zandt, so he's probably very resourceful. Right. Like, he's probably very smart. Um, Danny... I think comes from that same vein that Toby and JT came from, which is terrible. Um, I think it's... It sucks. Um, that for a while, especially with Jimmy being out of commission, he's kind of one of your only black boys on the show. Yeah. Um, I think that he's a character that, I don't know, like, I like sibling characters. I think it could be interesting, but I feel like we didn't really see him with interact with Liberty, like, barely at all. He, he has the one episode, like, he has the episode where, the penis pump episode, and then the episode where he tries to dictate who Liberty gets to date. Right. Oh, and the first episode where he hits on Manny. <laughs> Great. So, you know, not exactly a strong showing. No. I do have faith in his character that maybe he can have a JT turnaround only because JT is so much more tolerable this season. By the way, making JT a theater kid was the best thing they could have done, and I really truly believe they should have done that sooner. I fucking love it. Like, I love JT as a theater kid. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, let's welcome new JT. Right, new JT, who's just this weirdo theater kid who's deeply in love with Liberty. And I'm super, I'm here for that. Me too. (laughs) I think that's all they had to do. It's wild. Literally, they made him a theater kid. I'm like, oh, he's so much more likable now. (laughs) You know what would have been nice if during the Kevin Smith episodes, if, like, they just show, like, he, like, all the, like... The Hollywood, like, background people are just like, yo, this kid's super confident at this. That would be cute! <laughs> like, out of every, like, out of everyone who, like, wants to be famous, like, you know, somebody slides him, like, like, the 
camera operator, whatever, slides in the car. You're like, yo, when you're 18, when you graduate from this place, come talk to me. I got, I'll have some work for you. Yeah. And he just finds steady work, like, as a, um, just like, you know, in the background, like, as a grip or, like, you know, a camera operator. What the hell is going on, you two? She is possessed by a demon. Fair enough. Sometimes a demon finds her. <laughs> Only Dahlia, though. So. She'll, she'll get out of it. Or she'll just yell from the top of the cat tree, whichever happens. Fair enough. Um, we got to leave that tail. It's a poofy. <laughs> nothing was happening. She just got possessed. <laughs> anyway, um, also, Darcy. Yeah, Darcy. So, Darcy is kind of interesting because I got very nervous for her because Rick takes a shine to her um, and she kisses him. Um, Darcy is portrayed as a very... Not very bright girl, and I worry about her. I hope things work out for Darcy. We'll just have to wait and see. I, I do, well, I did enjoy being like, well, she's going to be something because she has a fucking name. Right. I'm Darcy. <laughs> like, something, like, really indignant like that. Yeah. Um, Shantae is introduced, which I brought up the name and you did not remember anything about oh. her. Um, justice for Shantae, honestly. Um, and then I guess we can welcome Kevin Smith and Jason Muse. Nope, they can go right back to fucking Jersey. <laughs> you know what? No, they can go back to California. I want them back in Jersey. Fair enough. Not this version. Fair enough. All right, so now we'll move on to superlatives. So we got the best all around. Frank, who's your pick? Even though I have a feeling I know who it is. Best all around? Yep. Ellie. Oh, interesting. Who did you think I was going to say? I was going to say Alex. I thought you were going to say Alex. Oh. Yeah, no, I'll say Alex. <laughs> Would you like to explain why? Well, it's just like... I don't know. I've just, fall, I've just fallen head over heels for the Alex character. I love her. Because, like, in a world where Manny and Paige are not doing their things anymore, like, I need a strong female character who's there to, like, protect the others. Mm-hmm. And that's Alex now. I agree with that assessment. Um, I'm going to go with my best all around being Marco in the sense that here's my rationale for it. I think that he makes very important realizations in Moonlight Desires. Well, he makes a couple really important realizations in general because I think that, once again, we kind of talk about how Marco is a quieter character. When Marco came out to his parents. Uh, Came out with his mom. Yeah, I was going to say. Came out to his mom. Parent. But still, that's huge. Yeah. Came out to his mom, became student body president, became more politically active. Hopefully, Caitlin did not ruin that opportunity for him. Um, and learned how to stand on his own two feet away from Dylan. Yeah. And I think those are, like, really interesting, very real goals that happened to him. And I think that that's a really lovely growth for him to have. Um, so let's move on to biggest flirt. This one I almost wanted to abstain from. I'm all, but then Frank reminded me that Manny deserves this because of her amazing transformation where she is doing tie-dye with Emma. She sees boys walk past and she just like hikes up the big white <laughs> shirt she's wearing and just struts over. <laughs> and I went, 
Hell yeah, Manny. So, <laughs> Manny is the biggest flirt under the stipulation that I do not want her to get hurt. As long as she is just having a fun fucking time, I am happy. Plus, she was flirting with Spinner, and that was a good, that was a good relationship until, like, Spinner turned into a monster. Right. Right. Like, Manny inherently flirting is not a bad thing, and I think it's quite fun. I just don't want her to get hurt during it. Yeah, she needs a nice boy. Yes. Or girl. Yeah, Or girl. Yeah, who is to say? Who is to say? Your pick for biggest flirt? No, still Manny. Yeah, still Manny. Okay. I was the one who pointed out. I know, but I wasn't sure. That's why I checked. Oh my god, those spikes. <laughs> Whatever. It's, it's not an episode until my until it spikes because of me making weird proclamations. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget that there's a part that ended up on the editing floor about me talking about my ship and yelling pretty much <laughs> and it being unusable. This is the real... Yeah, you took it out. You told me. Anyway, this is the real Donnie experience. If you ever hang out with me, this happens. Yeah. Did I tell you I knocked out a plug at Hot Pop because I was talking too passionately about my favorite Fire Emblem character. We're Italians, it happens. <laughs> I literally was like, I fucking love him, and I love him because of this, and then someone's like, the Hot Pot's not working anymore, and I looked down and I realized I unplugged it. How do you, how do you, uh, how do you mute a, an Italian? They sleep. You tie up their hands. <laughs> That's good. Um, class Clown, your pick. Craig, nothing. Oh, okay. Nothing made me. Craig, when he like has little asides here and there, like you know, when it, when it's not a Craig focused episode, he's just a background character. I I really feel like that's when he gets to shine, like when he was pretending to be a doctor in that stupid overcoat. And then, like, when Marco kissed him, that that was the thing that made me laugh the most at this whole episode. That was the... Yeah. And just his delivery on, when in doubt, you kiss Craig. Yes. <laughs> and him just being like, yeah, yeah, you should go, you should go do something. And, and but, like, also, just, uh, you know, that that was one of my splashes of humanity that I loved about this, uh, this season, was Craig desperately trying to cheer up Marco. Yeah. Like, just being a good friend. It, my, I really like that type of stuff. I think my thing that I really like about it is something that I've really reflected on with, um, I feel like this is an aspect of mental illness narratives that doesn't always get to happen. It's actually something I'm trying to work into my writing more, where it's like, I feel like what ends up happening is the mentally ill narrative usually ends up being people taking care of the mentally ill person, and that's fine. But we rarely get to see the mentally ill person trying to, like, help other people. And I think that's what I like about Craig and Marco's relationship. And I think that's also a part of me of why I ship it to a certain extent. In the sense that, like, I want Craig to be able to support someone. Yeah. And have that moment where he truly is an equal in a relationship. Yeah. And he is able to look at Marco... And see him as somebody that he cares toward and he sees, like, a positive reaction to it. Yeah. I think that is deep down why I like that ship. Because that's, I think, what I would want to see out of fan work about it. And that's what I would want to see if it if it ever, like, became canon. Like, that, that would be my dream. Would be that the, a lot of their arcs would be Marco 
want, you know, fussing and doing his usual stuff, but that's just because he's Italian and that's just how we are. And then Craig being like, no, but like, you need help. You need support. You you need to be taken care of. And sometimes it is just kind of joking and being like, hey, you are kind of cute. I mean, you're short, but like, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's cute. Um, and sometimes it is just you awkwardly just being like, I don't know, but this is what I'm going to try and do. And I think that's what Craig needs a win like that. And I think that he can get that win with his friendship with Marco. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, like, I'm, like, I sometimes feel, I, I feel this pretty often, where it's just like, because of all the shit I've been through, like the depression, the anxiety and whatnot, like, I feel like a lot of times I'm, I will say to my friends, like, I feel like I have like a PhD in pain. Yeah. Where it's just like, somebody like, I'm feeling this way, and I can just like slide and be like, I know what's going on. Right. Let's talk about it. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's just, I mean, that, as, like, you know, mentally ill folks, like, that's the, that's the good thing about group, is, like, for a lot of times we have to explain, like, what we're going through, and people, like, well, you know, people say, like, why don't you just be happy? It's like, well, you don't kind of understand that. Like, you have to explain what depression feels like, what anxiety feels like, with a group, you know group therapy it's just like like everybody is just like i i well you'll be like i feel sad it was like we are right here on the same page with you right so then when people who are more neurotypical can say that we're just like what's up right no that's exactly <laughs> it i think there's that i think there's that and i think there's also like it depending on the flavor of mental illness you're in you, you might have had certain types of therapy that make you better at this type of stuff yeah so it's like you're like, no, 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 you you misunderstood. I'm in the 300-level course of this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're in DBT, you're in the 400-level course, baby. <laughs> Maybe even grad school. It's like, it's like you're like, no, 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 I am uh, very good at this. <laughs> um, I am very good at anxious energy. Let us do this thing. <laughs> right, and I feel like I could see that with Craig, like, after a little bit more time in group and after a little bit more time in therapy, being like, you know, watching Marco go through, he's like, yo, I am here with you. <laughs> I am here with you. And, and Marco's like, uh, okay. But yeah, I don't think Marco would be like that. I think he'd be like, oh, okay. We're yeah. in this. I still ship this. I still ship this. I think it takes a little bit of revision, but that's also what fanfic is for. I Honestly, I don't think it takes as much revision. No, I don't like, think it takes much either. It's just... Yeah, like, it's just, like, that kiss between Marco and Craig. Craig's just like, you know, it didn't dislike it. Right. But that's the thing. It's like him being like, hmm, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't awful. And Marco's like, okay, but, like, why wasn't it awful? Like, like what, 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 what's going on, buddy? Uh, use your words. Uh, oh, no. Uh, Paige's parents invited us off to a... Invite us out to their cabin, and there's only one bed for the Right? <laughs> That's what I want. I want them to have to, like, I want them to have, like, a, a bed sharing situation or something, or, like, they all, like, I don't know, I just, or they all go to the beach late at night, and they're sitting on, like, the lifeguard stand together, and they kiss under the moonlight. <laughs> like, like, that's the kind of shit I want. I'm gonna definitely go on AO3. I'm going on AO3 to see how many fics I can read of this. Because, like, I just want, like, really soft, dumb shit with these two. Alright, well, while you're doing that, why don't I talk about the next superlative? Yes, so, the next superlative is, 
Um, we talked about class clown. Did I even say who my favorite class clown was? I, I'll give. I think Craig was quite endearing. I think JT as a theater kid is kind of fun, but, but like, he's not really class clown anymore. Yeah, he didn't really do anything funny. It's just a cheese bar. Yeah, I mean, well, is there a cutest couple thing? Yes, next is cutest couple. My pick was Alex and Marco's friendship. My pick is JT and Liberty. JT and Liberty is good. They're very cute. Um, my non-canon ship is obviously Craig and Marco. Yeah. Because I'm talking about it right now. Well, my non-canon is still Alex and every girl. <laughs> Alex and every girl. So fucking good. But um, the Euchre crew, I think, is a wonderful coupling. I think that I, re- I really enjoyed Marco and Alex's friendship. <laughs> The fact that she feels like she just is approved to tackle him at any time. It's so good. It's it's so good. And I think it's the type of friendship that, you know, I think it's the type of friendship that he needs. Just going right to the stores, I die. Oh, yeah. I love when they just drink from the fountain. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's really, it's really good. Oh, look, the first two fix are by Frank. <laughs> <laughs> anyway the, the Degrassi the next generation random on AO3 is not as active as I thought it would be <laughs> um, I'm gonna get into another I'm gonna get into even more active fandom the MASH fandom to be fair it's pretty active in it was pretty active in August anyway it's okay it's okay I appreciate what you're doing for the fandom um and hopefully people read your fic um, anyway, um, Life of the Party, who's your pick? Mm. There weren't that many parties this season. No. Uh, Sean? Not Sean. Sean? You're gonna go to a party with Sean? Uh, Life of the Party. You know what? Uh, I'm going to go with Marco, because he actually threw proms and dances and whatnot. Yeah. I just want to go to a party with Alex, mostly because I'll feel safe. Yeah. Because I know if anyone wrongs us, she'll kill them. On sight. And I'm very happy about that. (laughs) I love her. Aw, somebody wrote some Spinner Terry. Bring it back. Bring it back, y'all. Um, so, most athletic... My question is, is anyone a jock anymore? I'm still going to give it to Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy's it. I mean, Spinner's now a jock. Is he? Yeah, he was in the basketball game. Oh, I guess They so. had that very awkward scene where they gave Jimmy the award. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm still giving it to Jimmy because... Yeah. I mean, the thing about him is he's going to have to figure out exactly what that looks like now. Yeah. But he'll get there. Like, he'll get there. I hope he starts playing that, like, really, like, hardcore version of wheelchair basketball. Like, Oh, yeah. That shit looks, like, rough Like, murder ball type shit? Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I think that's fair game. Well... Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that he is not out. You know what I mean? Like, he is not, he can't, it's not like he can't do anything like that. He's just got to figure out exactly what he has to do. Yeah. AO3 has nothing for my ship. What the fuck? Bullshit. My birthday, 
well, this is going to be past point. My birthday is December 10th. If anyone wants to give me a late birthday gift, it's writing me some Craig Marco fanfic. Thank you, world. Um, <laughs> you didn't notice my eyes looking shit like that. <laughs> I did, but I'm not putting any pressure on you. Uh, it's most, easy. <laughs> most changed. Who's your pick? I don't want to go obvious and say Jimmy, because I feel like... Alex. Yeah, no, it's Alex. Alex, Alex had Alex. such an arc. Alex went from the dark side to the light. Yeah, that's she pretty big. She got rid of her shitty baggage of Jay. Right. <laughs> and that's the thing. She's the one that I feel like we actually see the change of. I feel like with Jimmy, it's very, like, half-assed. But Alex, we actually do see her arc happen. If, if any... Like, I honestly feel like she just becomes the mother hen of the Euchre Club. She does. And I just want there to be, like... A, um, if anybody who's, who's, okay, Donnie wants Craig Marco fan fiction. I want a, like, chicken wearing a tank top, like, sitting on top of a bunch of little, like, like, in front of a bunch of chicks that all, like, look like, like the Euchre Club. That's cute! <laughs> That's so cute! Um, because I, like, yeah... Like, Alex is a swan to me. Like, <laughs> lovely, and also, don't fuck with me. Right. A goose. Yeah. Honk, 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 honk. Um, um, I played that for the first time. I got so frustrated, I just honked at everything. And then I accidentally tripped the kid and got part of the list checked off. And that's my experience playing Untitled Goose Game. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, Alex has the most visible, tangible arc this season. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. Uh, most likely to succeed. My pick is Alex. <laughs> I think she has what it takes. So Alex has become the new page of season one. <laughs> Look, we needed someone. We needed. She's she is our guiding light now. Um, most unforgettable. Your pick. Or unless Alex is not your most likely to succeed, but I don't know why she no, wouldn't be. I mean, be. she is. Like, she's a, she's a hard one. Like, she's one of the few people who actually has a job in Degrassi world. You're right. It's like her and Spinner. You're right. Um. Well, I'm sorry, what was this where I live? Uh, most Unforgettable. I know this is going to sound weird, but Rick. Mm. Like, I... Yeah. Like, I mean, I do want to say Alex, because I love Alex now. Right. But, like, the thing is, I don't think I'm going to be able to forget Rick's brand of monstro monstrosity. You pose a really good point. Like, because, like, the thing is, trying to write one of those characters is not something I've ever tried. But I feel like if I was going to... Especially, especially now, mm -hmm. like it would be Rick. Yeah, because Rick for me reminds me of kind of the current flavor of people I'm most scared of in the world. Yeah, he's there's something about him that's very unfortunately 2019. Yeah, as much as I do not want to think about it that way. Yeah, um, I think that that's just an unfortunate reality, and I think that. He is one of the few examples of the school shooter character that actually is portrayed as someone who hates women. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a piece of the discussion that many people don't always go in. And 
it's a real reality that a lot of the people who do that have horrible abusive tendencies toward women. Yeah. And I do commend the Degrassi writers for being able to make that connection at a time where the narrative was still very much, oh, be nice to all the outsiders because they might fucking shoot you. Yeah. It's a very contemporary take on who would do this. Yeah. And that's awful. But it's also reality. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think putting Rick in that category, as much as it sucks, is very real. There's um, there's this movie with um, James Earl Jones, and, like, he's talking about, like, how all these shooters and whatnot, it's just these frustrated white dudes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, that's so fucking true. It is. Um, and it sucks. But... Yeah. If there's a solution, it's not something we... Well, there's a solution, but it's not something our country wants to do. Right. But anyway, let's... I, I, You're I, so close. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about it. Yeah. Um, my most unforgettable... I said Marco, but I think you made a really good case for Rick. I went with Marco just because, like, I think that his growth... You really need to really think about it to really see it. But his growth feels very realistic for a gay kid. Yeah. And I really like it. And I like that... I don't know. I like how, in spite of all the bombastic bullshit that is season... Season four. He still has these little moments of growth that feel very realistic. Yeah, honestly, he reminds me a lot of um, a kid I knew in college. Mm -hmm. Who came out to us in, like, college. Um... And, like, kind of went on this whole arc of learning about himself. And is also now in Philadelphia doing HIV and AIDS outreach. That's great. Yeah. He's super nice dude. Um, who I absolutely adore. And who everybody knows and absolutely adores. Mm, that's really wonderful. Like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's something about him. And I think that what makes him so unforgettable is that I see myself in him. I see my students in him. I see my friends in him. There's something very real about him. Yeah, he's just a sweet kid. Yeah. And, like, he's... <laughs> Not to, like, play off my own metaphor too much, but, like, he's a little birdie learning how to fly. And he is. And, like, this is really, for me, where the mama hen thing comes in, where Alex is like, Fucking, you want to, like, make a, go make a stand? There's Caitlin Ryan. You go make your stand. Right. Like, you go fucking do it. And honestly, a year ago, I don't think he would have, but now he will. Yeah. And and he even said that. Like, he's like, you know, you want, like, he, when he was, he was hurt by Dylan not being excited for him, because he was like, you are the one who was telling me that I should be doing this type of stuff. You are the one who was telling me I should be advocating for myself, should be advocating for the community, and here I am. I'm doing it. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's big. Because I think with Marco, so much of his arc was, I'm trying to survive, and now it is, I'm trying to fight back. Yeah. But not just in the cliched, I'm going to punch the shit out of people way. It's, I'm going to use my words, I'm going to use my platform, I'm going to use my identity to do that. And if somebody does need to get punched, Alex. Yeah, and if somebody <laughs> does need to get punched, I have a friend behind me. <laughs> um, but it's good. And then, most unique. Um, I'll probably give it to Alex... In the sense that even the type of kid that she is in a school, I see one every couple of years. 
She's a very real character to me, but she's an archetype that I don't get to see very often in my school. In fact, I only get to see a little bit. But sometimes they exist and they are wonderful kids. Yeah. They're a little tough. They're a little rough around the edges. They take a lot of time to get on the good side up. But once you get on the good side of them, you have their loyalty forever. Yeah. Because they are deeply loyal. And, like, you know, they just... They just, like, they're just good kids who just want somebody to believe in them. Exactly. Exactly. That's the big thing about those types of kids. Yeah. So, what do you want from season five, Frank? Better. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, no, like, I want more... I want... I want more Euchre Club. I want... I want a new theme song, because, like, so many of those people in the theme song are not there anymore. Yeah, we need updated visuals. Um, and also, for Marco to not be wearing that stupid denim jacket. Oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, less Joey. Yeah. <laughs> less Joey and Craig, honestly. Yeah. Like, let's focus... Like, let's focus on some other characters for the time being. Yeah, I think that you can have adult plots, but I think that they can't be, as like hard mode, they can't be about cheating. <laughs> or fidelity in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, um, I want actually more Miss Hesalakos. Mm, I think what you said earlier about how you wanted it to focus more on the teachers, I think it would be interesting to see the teachers and the principal and everything and how they navigate the space. Yeah. Like, you know, you know what would be a great bottle episode is them, like, in the teacher's lounge just talking about their day. And here's the thing. It would reveal the awful truth that teachers definitely talk about you outside of the lounge. Oh, I fucking always knew it. <laughs> Sorry, we're always talking about you. Look, the way that I explain it is this. We see you more than your parents. We treat you like you're our kids. You are our ducklings, as I tell my kids. You are my ducklings. So guess what? I talk about you. <laughs> I tell people when I am frustrated, and I tell people when I'm proud of you, and I tell people when when you piss me off, and I tell you people when you make me happy, and I will not violate your confidentiality, but if, you know, you, you are my babies. I see you all the time, so I'm going to have things to say. Sorry. But you are my babies. <laughs> for better and for worse. Um... But yeah, I think that not using the teachers as much, not using adults as much is a huge hindrance. I think that they need to get back on track with that. And I think that the adults need to have relationships that really focus back on the kids. Because I think that the Joey Caitlin show is fucking boring. Not only is it, like, not good, it's just boring. Yeah. It's not interesting. And they're so dishonest and uncommunicative with each other. It also is like, why are you showing... If you're going to show a teen, a show an adult relationship on a teen drama, at least give them a model of what a healthy relationship looks like. Even if there's issues within the relationship. At least show them that the two people love each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, at least show them as we're trying our best and sometimes we're not going to be great at it, but fuck, we love each other. Yeah. And we love Craig and we love Angie. Yeah. Oh, Angie. I know. Um... Then, uh, I would also like to see a reshuffling, like, the Euchre Club can say where it is, but, like, maybe a reshuffling of friend groups. Oh, that would be nice. You know, like, now that JT's hanging out with Paige, or JT's hanging out with Liberty, like, he still wants to keep his friendship with Paige, but I'm not sure if Paige and Liberty have ever really, like, gotten along or 
hang out, hung out that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so there's just kind of more of that stuff. Like, and just, like, some more slice of life stuff. I want to get back to, like, basics, essentially. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. And I think that's the best thing you can do after an episode, after a season that's so bloated. You know what I mean? Like, after a season that is so weighed down by all the large-scale dramatics, and now you have lost two principal characters. Like, you know, Ashley and Sean are out of the picture entirely now. For now. Yeah. So I think it's really important to reevaluate and kind of restructure and go back to kind of this is who we have. Maybe add some more characters. I don't think it's a bad thing to add characters. I just think they got to be smart about it. Yeah. Add a couple more characters. I think I think the big thing they're going to need to do is find jocks. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's what they lack right now. And I am the I am a weirdo artsy kid who will defend the jock. I love jocks. They're the backbone of, of a high school, for better and for worse. Like, it always does bug me when jocks are just portrayed as awful meatheads. Yeah. Cause like, Some I, of them are meatheads, but they're not awful always. Yeah, like, the, the, the jocks in my high school were all just, like, they were just good dudes and gals. I loved the jocks. I loved the jocks when I was... I loved the jocks when I was in high school. I had a lot of jocks that were musicians and stuff, so I was actually pretty close with them. Yeah. And I love jocks when I am working in a high school thing because I will say this, some sports, they do get an ego, but not every sport. Not every sport has really that ego. Um, And honestly, they're pretty tight with each other. They have a lot of really deep friendships. And a lot of them, a lot of them are very sweet. A lot of them are very, very sweet. And I genuinely enjoy them. Like I said, backbone of a high school. Yeah. For better and for worse, they are the backbone of a high school. I think the fact that all these kids now are, have fame on their minds or are all, like, artsy and things like that, look, like, I love them. But if we're trying to show a wholesale experience of what teenager, teenage life is, we need the jocks. It'd be, it'd be really nice if there, were, like, there was an actual, like, if they just chose one sport and they just focus, like, they're just like, if we're going to have a sport... You know, we're just going to have the kids be part of this sport. They like, do that. They do? They do. Is it football? No. Well, yes, at one point. Oh. They do have football, but they also have hockey. I was gonna, I didn't want to be like, <laughs> be that guy. but Actually, you'll be able to meet one of my favorite. I have to see if I still love him, but if memory serves me right, one of my favorite Degrassi, later Degrassi characters is a hockey player, so. Yeah. Anyway. No, you will not be surprised when you meet him. If he plays out how I remember him playing out, you're going to be like, oh, of course Donnie likes this character. I love him. I can guess one trait about him that I probably endeared him to. What? He's mentally ill? No, he's gay. No, actually. Wow. No. He's actually not. Because, like, that was the big thing for Marco. <laughs> I, was I like, like Marco I keep, for other reasons. I, keep, like, I relate a lot to Marco. What do I, Oh. Marco, to be fair, is a neurotic Catholic Italian. You can't get more relatable for me than that. At least on Degrassi. Alright, and I know we're not going to get it, but more characters of color. (laughs) More characters of color, but more importantly, carrying the characters the chance to do shit. Like, you can add as many black characters as you want, but if they're not going to get A-plots, what's the damn point? Yeah. Like... I love Hazel. I really do, because I think the actress is great. But 
one A plot in the multiple seasons she's been on. And it was bad. Right. It's just so disappointing because even as a teenager, and keep in mind, I was a ignorant little teenager, I still really liked her. And it just is really upsetting because it's like, how much more could I have liked her if they actually gave her a chance to shine? Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. But yeah, onwards and upwards with season five. Season four gave us a lot of trouble. And as I said before, season four, in the last episode, season four unfortunately lined up with a very tough time in our lives. Um, But hopefully as we close out this season, as we move on to the next year, and we move on to season five, hopefully we will have a slightly smoother sailing. Well, they said in like one of the reviews, this is the darkest Degrassi ever gets, so thank fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wonky season in that sense, where, I, once again, if it was dark and done well, I would have a very different take on it. Yeah. I'm actually a tiny little edgelord, but like I never... It's funny because, like, I feel like my writing never really quite goes there. Like, I feel like people are like, your writing is so soft. And at first it bothered me. And then I realized why they said it. It's because, like, I still have, like, fucked up shit happening in it. But, like, everything ends on an okay note. A lot of people tell me the opposite. They're like, your shit's fucking dark. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm soft as shit. I'm squishy. It's because it's like I can have a character who has gone through sad shit. But then I'm like, I can't let them stay having sad shit. They gotta, like, smooch their partner. Yeah. They just got they just gotta get some smooches and they gotta get some love and friendship and shit. I don't know. I'm very sentimental like that. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like I don't think the dark I don't think any topic and I said this at the beginning of the episode, I'll say it again. I really don't think anything was truly off limits in what they could do. I think it's just execution. That is season four in a nutshell. I think that Degrassi is one of those shows that I can recommend full seasons of, but not every single season. I think season four is one of those seasons that I would recommend a couple episodes. I think you should watch the school shooting one because you should, because everyone talks about it and you might as well just check it off your list. I think that you should watch the Marco episodes. I think that any scenes with the Euchre crew are pretty fun. But overall, I wouldn't recommend the whole season. Yeah, no. Which is weird, because I loved this season growing up. But I think it was just I liked the drama, and I didn't live enough. I think that if I had... If I had lived more of my life, slash I had more friends who have gone through certain things, I think my take on the season would be a little different. Yeah. I think it was just ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But yeah, so that's it for season four. Good fucking riddance. Oh, God, thank Jesus. We're finally free. We've had a whole day of recording because, not because well, we had a lovely day. Because we recorded the first episode, then we had a lovely lunch together, then we recorded 45 minutes of the other episode, then we lost it, and then we finished up this episode. So we've had a very long day here at I Hope Pod headquarters. But, um, you know, as I say every single episode recently, because I am a sentimental fuck, at least I get to record with my pal every week. And that is lovely. Um, and if nothing, like if nothing else, like this episode, this this year was hard. But I feel like having gone through it together, we're even closer than we were before. Exactly, we're soul bound, buddy. <laughs> but let me, I can summon you. Just yeah, to my hand. Yeah, just like that. I'll like appear. D&D. I'll appear. I might be. I might be drinking a cranberita, but oh man, that would save us so much money on airline fees. Right. <laughs> It really would. Airlines would cease to exist. 
All right, well, I'm I'm here in such and such place. Time to summon Donnie. All right, you just summon me. I'm just like, hey, what's up? I have, like, an Arizona in my hand. I'm like, yo! What's good? Let's go! Yo, we could get so much shit across the border. It's illegal. Oh, my God. Yes, exactly. Just like that. <laughs> like tiny like frog a dead body. <laughs> I love how those were where our heads went. Well, no, Great. I, I, there's this amazing article about written by Rody for Spin about how he got stopped at the border between America and Canada on Celine Dion's tour, and like this, the customs agent was like, "You can come with the tiny frogs that." Celine Dion cells can come across the border, but not the shirts they're wearing. <laughs> so he had to stand in the middle of a blizzard taking off tiny t-shirt frogs. <laughs> tiny frog t-shirts. <laughs> 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 and then, like, the tour manager was just like, you can't sell naked frogs, Celine won't have it. Can you try and find them some tiny frog pants? You can't sell tiny <laughs> And he's just like trying to find a good like margarita in in Alberta is hard. Trying to find five thousand pairs of tiny frog pants is enough to make an aneurysm burst in every part of your skull. Oh my god! I'll send you the article. It's fucking hysterical. Please do. All right. Anyway, um, so if you want to continue the conversation with us, whether it's about season four, or whether it's about anything Degrassi related, there's a couple ways you can do so. You can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Um, I am a little bit behind on checking there, but I am hopefully going to sit down and get through anything that we have there. Um, also, if you're interested in potentially appearing on season five, we are going to begin opening up, signing up for that. So feel free to email us if you're interested. As always, if you are somebody who's interested in one specific episode, we tend to prioritize you. But if you're someone who wants to be just always on deck in case we need anyone, feel free. Hopefully as we go into the new year, our lives have stabilized enough that we can really start doing a consistent guest schedule. Um, and we apologize to those of you who have wanted to appear or maybe, you know, wanted to kind of fit in. It's just that I've been, I've been going through it mentally but also i've had a promotion i've been trying to focus on my job right now so i hope you understand and i hope this the fact that we're still giving you content just maybe with just frank and me is a fine enough compromise if you want to support us on social media you can follow us on twitter at iHopePod, and you can also join our facebook group and i hope i can make it through podcast and if you want to support the show in other ways you can donate to our coffee account um any money that we make goes toward tech upgrades as well as going to our guests and we also have a review challenge. We're still hoping to hit 20. Once we hit 20 ratings and reviews, we'll go back into the Degrassi archives and give you some Degrassi Junior High, Degrassi High takes. Once we hit 30, we are going to play, going to write out a plotline shuffle uh, premise. And once we hit 40, Donnie is going to write you some Jay Hogart Spinner Mason fic. Um, apparently, I have to start doing all the fucking heavy lifting for my fucking Degrassi OTP, which you know what is just what always fucking happens to me in every fandom. Anyway, thank you everybody who has been supporting the show. Thank you everybody who's been downloading, listening, doing all that good type of, st of stuff. It never goes unnoticed. We really appreciate all the support that you've been giving us, especially as we're going into another year. Um, it is always a joy to be able to record with my friends, and it's always really surreal to me that people actually want to listen and actually have feedback on it. Um, other than that, if you want to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is unbreakable. Feel free to reach out to me. Feel free to ask me questions about Degrassi. Feel free to just talk to me about my current obsession of Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, and feel free to check out my writing. Sometimes I have some articles. I have some zines that are coming out. 
Um, I also have um, a lot of fanfic that I'm posting right now, um, which apparently now I gotta do some fucking Degrassi fanfic, which is fine. I will do it. But um, if you want to see some of the stuff that I am putting out outside of the podcast, feel free. Also, your boy may be appearing on a different podcast soon, so I'll also be letting you know about that one. Um, but feel free to follow me on Twitter to see all these types of updates and to chat with me and all that fun stuff. Um, I have another podcast that I do with my sister um, called Teen Girl Talk. I'm not sure exactly what episode we're going to be doing this week. Um, but it's about other kind of teen media and whatnot. Uh, movies, TVs, mm, movies, TVs and whatnot. Movies, TV shows and books. Um, I have a Twitter, Dance Dance Fall. I have an Instagram, Sir I Would Challenge. You can find my link to my Wattpad, which has the first few chapters of my manuscript, Red Rain. Um, if you can please check that out and tell me if I'm a good writer or not. Um, and that's about it. So that being said, everybody, um, we're going to continue our quick little break. Um, so t- next week we are going to be watching, what are we watching again, Frank? Uh, we're going to be watching the Hallmark Christmas movie, A Veteran's Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas, everybody. With Miriam McDonald playing the romantic rival to the main character. Ah, it's all good. It's all good. Yo, it's I looked gravy. at Miriam McDonald's IMDb. She's in some bonkers shit. Great. So really our in-between seasons are just going to be us going through Miriam McDonald's IMDb. It is unfortunate that a lot of the other actors and actresses so far have not been in a lot of other stuff. Let the record state that a couple months ago, I proposed that we go to Craig's one-man show in Toronto, and it was turned down. <laughs> it was in Toronto. <laughs> Do you think I would not go to Toronto? I am poor. <laughs> Me too. Anyway. Yo, if you want to send us to Jake Epstein's one-man show in Toronto, hit up on coffee. It's gone. It's gone. Don't donate any coffee unless you want to support the show. We're not going to make it. Anyway. He does a lot of theater stuff, so maybe he'll make his way back to New York and we'll see him. There was also a point I said we should just listen to, like, Drake albums, but that's problematic now. Yeah. So. Also, like, I feel like that would be boring. Because yeah. that's being like, he says these lyrics. <laughs> these are interesting. I still think we should go through all the female uh, albums and decide which one's the best. Me like the beats. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, we could do a bracket. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, an album bracket would actually be really fun of all the Degrassi actors. Yeah. We listen to anyone's music, anyone's band, anyone's solo artistry, anything, anything. And we, like, fucking like, do a bracket. Do you know how many people would be like, your taste in music is fucked? I'd be like, <laughs> you're right, it is. You want to know who one of my favorite musicians is? Adam Lambert. You want to know why? Because he's great. But just so you know, that's that's what you're going to get into. Um. Anyway. Anyway, everybody, so we're going to be doing our little little in-between thing, and then, you know, we're going to be doing all that fun end-of-the-year stuff. We're, we're going to be taking a, like, little break. In, we're not starting season five till 2020. Right, right. Um, well, we'll probably do our end-of-the-year wrap-up, where we just kind of reflect on the show and everything, and, yeah, and all the usual stuff. Cover some deleted scenes yeah. from season three. Yeah, do some of that type of stuff. But yeah, just kind of... easing out of 2019. Yeah, I think we deserve that. 
2019 has not been kind. No, 2019 has kind of beaten us up to an inch of our life. And that's, you know what? Some years are like that. I, I told people when things really started going south for me, I was like, guys, I'm just going to take the L for this year. <laughs> that's all there is to it. I'm taking the L. And anything that happens that's good in my life is just a little bonus. So, honestly, in the grand scheme of things, not a bad year. In spite of it all. Hey, this year brought you Fire Emblem. This year did bring me Fire Emblem. This year brought me to do Molinaro. So is it really a loss? No. I had to, like, lower my voice actively because I feel myself getting emotional yeah. about Mr. Molinaro. So anyway. Anyway. That being said, everyone, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. Goodbye. See you next week.